I don't think I've ever been as excited as I am now. And in these days, maybe it's because when you've got to care for others, you realize the tremendous responsibility And I ask God to make me a faithful steward in this work of delivering his truth, living it and delivering it. Now, in the eighth chapter of Romans, and this is where we'll be. I'm sorry, folks. Everybody's looking at me with open Bibles. Romans 8. Romans 8. In order to be able to understand Romans 8, there are a few verses in Romans 7 that we're going to pick out and share with you. And this is what it is. Verse 14 of 7. For we know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. And then it says, for that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Our, our conflicts, okay? But if you do the very thing you do not wish to do, I agree with the Lord, confessing that it is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. I wish the psychiatrist would take this verse and make it in a wooden plaque on their doors. And I say that most sincerely because the pressure of psychology is just the opposite, that there's somebody beautiful in you and you've got to let them out. Well, the more they're letting out, the uglier things we're seeing. The scripture says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Oh, I wish I could do this, the good things. I wish I could, but we don't. For the good that I wish, I do not. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish. Okay? What I'm telling you this now is the struggle, the human struggle. I suppose that's why I love Paul so much, because no one describes the human struggle like the Apostle Paul. And then he goes on, verse 20, uh, 20 uh, verse 20 again, I'll read it to you. For I am doing the very thing I do not wish. I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me and the one who wishes, well, I'm sorry, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. Okay, uh, I, I, I'm going to have to, give me that in the Living Bible. Somebody's got a Living Bible, please. Uh, verse, verse 21, I thank you. Okay, verse 21 of that 8. Only for clarification, uh, my precious people. For on, okay, 8, 21, okay. 
and it says, all right, uh, 20 and 21, for on that day, thorns and... Oh, oh sir, I'm sorry. That, that's where I'm getting confused. Okay. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned, but there is something else deep within me, in my lower nature. That's the flesh, okay? That is at war with my mind and wins the fight, and wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. In my mind, I want to be God's willing servant, but instead, I find myself still enslaved to sin. So you see how it is? My new life tells me to do right, but the old nature that is still inside me loves to sin. How many say amen? amen. Not so may it be, but that's the way it is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. And it says, so you see how, how, it, how it is. My new life tells me to do right, but the old nature that's still inside me loves to sin. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Who will free me from my slavery to this deadly lower nature? Thank God it's been done. Mm. It's been done <laughs> by Jesus Christ our Lord. He has set me free. Thank you so much, my brother. There is the answer. And then the eighth chapter starts off as nothing in the world could start off. Therefore, in other words, we have a winner. You're not the winner. I'm not the winner. But we have a winner that can make us win. His name is Jesus. Oh, we give him the glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There, is there, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Okay? For what the law could not do, Weak as it was through the flesh, God did. How? Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Hallelujah. In order that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are, according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are, according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Hallelujah. Because the mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, it does not belong to him. 
And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who indwells you. Hallelujah. And the verse 14, I think, is about the clincher of this. Uh, 13 says, if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if, this, if, if by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Let, let, me, let me reiterate something that we went through last week and the week before, just to show you where I'm going. What is the, what's the way? We're talking about the Spirit. We're talking about the Spirit of God. I have a study that we'll go into one of these Sundays as I, as I feel led and moved and, and in the proper place. But it's just a, a bird's eye view of the Spirit of God in the Scripture. The first time you come upon the Spirit of God in the Word of God is in the second verse of Genesis 1, where it simply says that the world was in chaos and disorder, but that the Spirit of God brooded over the waters. Now, the Spirit of God brooded over the chaos, over the waters. I'll tell you why. Because it was God's creation. And whatever belongs to God, he watches over it. Okay? And this, is the, this has always been the special ministry of the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, there was not, a, an, there was not an experience of an infilling as we know it through uh, Acts 2.4. But there was a visitation. And the visitation was that when God had to do a special job through a prophet, he would fill the prophet. And the scripture says, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied. And in other occasions, when uh, Elijah goes to the mount uh, to meet the prophets of Baal, and the Spirit of God was upon him. When Gideon uh, faces the, the Midianites, uh, uh, with not 3,000 men, but 300 men. And the sign from God is just the breaking uh, of, of some vessels uh, and the shining of the light uh, that they had. Uh, the scripture says, and the spirit of the Lord was upon them. When it speaks about David going out to meet uh, uh, the, the, the giant uh, the scripture tells us, and the spirit of the Lord was upon. So the spirit of God has continually brooded over humanity. And when the scripture says that God watched the men building the tower of Babel. And he watched them and saw that their heart and their purpose was not this tremendous technology, which was glorious. You know, I'm, I, I'm always amazed at everything God does because... It's to God's glory. You know, men are smart because they're made in his image. And when he saw this tower going up and hoping for a change in the hearts of men and seeing none, the scripture says that he confounded their tongues. One would ask for a brick when he wanted sand, and one would ask for sand when he wanted a brick, and nobody would understand each other. They found themselves confused in the construction 
No one knew what the other one was saying until finally they had to just let it go, disband, and every little group that could understand each other moved on out, and the others that couldn't, well, what can I tell you? But what, what was the problem with Baal? Once again, the problem of humanity, trying to defy God. Oh, brothers and sisters, we can't. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God has always been present, always. God's interested in this world, folks. And this might sound crazy to you, but God's interested in the stock exchange, and God is interested in Manny Hanny, and God is interested in Citibank, and God is interested uh, in the big and the large corporations. Uh, you may say, I don't believe that. Well, believe it. Believe it. First of all, whatever good they do, listen to this scripture. Every good gift cometh from the Father above, from the Father of lights. Uh, every good intention that's moved, every good intention uh, that's... Uh, that's uh, uh, executed by them. Hey, God's in it. That's why I, 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 I enjoy praying for the world. I enjoy praying for people at random. I've got the greatest view in the whole Bronx, 161st Street, the top apartment, and I can see all the cars swooshing down Grand Concourse. And down a little further, there are the two subways. Uh, uh, right in front is the express bus and the city buses. Uh, I watch cars crash. I watch cars come on the sidewalk. I watch cars do everything. And I just stand there and I say, oh, my God. You know, if I'm overwhelmed, I'm nothing. If I'm overwhelmed, what must the eyes of the Lord be like when he views the universe at a glance? And how does he do that? Through his spirit, for his spirit is everywhere. I don't understand that. I'm telling it to you, but I don't understand it. I can't tell you that, you know, it's down to this, uh, uh, this situation and we've got a, what shall we say, we've got a, 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 a composite, como se llama eso, in the situations of math. No, I, I, I do not know. There, there's no X that equals Y and that equals Z or whatever it is, and then it comes out with the, with the right answer. No. But that's okay, because the Bible says, who has understood the mind of the Lord, or who has ever been able to search it? We don't. Uh, you know what I like? I like that God lets us do so much, yet we haven't found the end of the firmament yet. I love that. Oh, I love that. And every now and then they go up and they say, we can go farther, and we can go farther, and we can take telescopes, and we can take motion picture cameras, and, we can, and they keep going farther and farther, and they keep taking all this equipment with them, and there is no and, you know, it's an awesome feeling that that God that made this universe, that when you see the pictures from space, listen, we're a drop in the bucket. We're a drop in the bucket. And it's hard for me to understand, looking at those pictures, that at 1246 Castle Hill Avenue, on this Sunday morning, God is riveted on us. But that's why he's God. That's why he loves us. Oh, hallelujah. The Spirit of God through the scriptures. We never finish. We never finish. But let me share this with you. When Jesus came, there was a very special announcement with his coming. And John the Baptist gave it. John says, I baptize you with water. But he that's coming will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. Now Jesus told them, and on three different occasions in the gospel, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. 
Yet it's Jesus that says before he leaves, you must not do anything for me until you await the coming of the Spirit. For I go to the Father. And it's necessary that I go to the Father because when I go to the Father, I will then send the Holy Spirit. That's the order. I must go. And that's why he told his disciples, I will send you another comforter. I've been a comforter to you. But now I'm going to send another comforter. And that comforter not only will be with you, but he will be in you. And then he says to his disciples, I'll not leave you orphans. The Spirit will never leave you. I've got to go. I have got to go. This is the Father's plan. But the Spirit will never leave you. Just think of this, folks. We have a visitation of the power of the Holy Spirit that will never leave us. Will never, never leave us. I think and I say to you this day, that the wall that stands between us and God has always been our sin. And sin has taken a toll on our lives. It's, it's given us an opening and it's given us an out for all of, our, all of our frustrations. Sin does that. If you can't handle it, drink. If you're too nervous, smoke. If you want to get out of it, take dope. If you want to really have a good time, swing. And then there are so many other avenues, the avenue of lust and sex. Then there are those that say, no, 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 I'm going to make this worthwhile. And they go into the avenue of stealing. They go into the avenue of doing so much wrong. Why? Because the capability of sin in us is a destructive force. Sin only wants to destroy. Sin only wants to tear us up. Sin only wants to finish us off. Now let me tell you something and don't get very frightened. Sin is in us. Because we're going to have a time in church history that's called the millennium. And at that time, the devil will be held captive for a thousand years. And when that thousand years are over, man will still be sinful. That's interesting. You know how many people say the devil made me do it? No. We don't even need a devil. The ability to sin is right in us. And this is why... Sin has got to be crushed within our flesh. And that's why Jesus came. It's a mystery, folks, once again. Not even theology will explain it to you. It simply said that he had to come in flesh, was born of the Virgin Mary, was born sinless, took a life and moved that life and moved it very well sinless life. For 30 years a carpenter, a young boy, a tradesman, and then three years and it was all over. But in three years he left his truth, he left his power, and when he's leaving he said, I'm leaving my spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
So what I'm saying to you this day is that the wall and the force that ignites within us and the flesh that boils and sometimes the boiling is just lethargy. I can't help myself. This is me. Been this way all my life. Can't move any faster. Can't move any slower. It's, uh, hey, I don't care. I don't care. You know what breaks my heart? 12, 13, 14, 15 year old kids are saying that. We're the nation with the highest children, adolescent suicide. America. America with the genius of everything. America with the fast cars. America with all the glitz and the glamour. America with the Rockefellers and the, the Trumps and, the, and everybody else. And our kids are killing themselves. They get into a corner and they say, it's not worth, it's not worth living. They can't fight the battle. They go home and their parents are drunk. And if they're not drunk, they're high. They walk to school and the teachers couldn't care. I don't say all of them, but many of them. It seems so senseless. And only they, in their tenderness, can get so full of futility when they make plans and pacts to die. Folks, that's what's so important about the gospel message. Jesus is saying to us, he that comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And he that comes, I will give him the power to become the son of God. And then when he died and said it was finished, what did he mean by that? That he had conquered the enemy that defeated us on a continuous basis. Uh, he had conquered the flesh, for it was in his flesh that he died. He died feeling the pangs and the pain and the sweat and the agony. In Gethsemane, he said to his father three times, Do we have another way? And came back and said, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. And it was off to the cross. And Jesus, with his death on the cross, simply gave sin the slap in the face it needs. That's why, folks, you don't face life on your own. You've got to face it with Jesus. You've got to let him in. You've got to let him take control. You say, oh, sister, that, that's religious jargon. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's simply deciding, well, hey, somebody's in charge. Are your nerves in charge? Is your sharp brain in charge? Are your dreams in charge? Are your goals in charge? Hey, put somebody else in charge because you're not going to make it. And Jesus says, I'll take charge if you let me. And he's so polite. If I were Jesus, I'd push everybody aside and I'd bring them into the kingdom. Ahache machete. I'd, 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 listen, I'd, oh, if you could suck someone into the kingdom, I'd lay the world out. But you can't. He says, come unto me. He says, follow me. And if you do, I'll give you eternal life if you do. So you see, God makes you the main man. God makes you the main woman. You know, we all say, oh, no, God's the biggest, God's the best. No, no, you can't do a thing until you decide. 
So that's why God gives you the importance of the decision. That's the importance. Sin stands as a mighty wall, but don't all the walls fall sooner or later. I was watching Bob's Hope special, The Berlin Wall, last night. And I looked through there, because I'd walked the Berlin Wall, and I'd gone through Checkpoint Charlie. And I'd had these giant mirrors be put under the buses so that nobody would be sneaking in or out. And you had to get out because, I don't know what they thought, they were miniature people, that somebody reduced them. But every corner and every nook and cranny was searched. Then we were allowed back in. And now it's all gone. The wall is down. And we've rejoiced. I don't know about you, but I've rejoiced about all the nations in Europe. I've rejoiced about what's happening. It's not easy, folks. Picking up a nation, picking up the pieces, going from communism to democracy, that's not easy. There's always somebody wanting to make a buck on it. There's always somebody wanting to push ahead. There's always somebody wanting to ruin it. Hey, that's life. What can I tell you? But I'm telling you today, let your wall down. Let Jesus come in. Don't be controlled by your flesh. Don't be controlled by your own desires. Let God control your life. Let him move in. And that's what he says. You see, the end of chapter 7 is, is so beautiful. It's kind of sad. Because it says, wretched man, wretched woman that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? In other words, you're telling me that, I, that my body just appeals to all the goodies. Sensual or financial or whatever, whatever the goodies involve. That's why, Josue, the victory was so beautiful. And it was a victory in cold blood. You weren't trembling. You weren't speaking in tongues. You didn't tell the man, Jesus told me so. You just went. Why? Because where Jesus enters is in the heart. And from the heart, he controls the mind and the spirit. And he takes control of our entire being. Some people think if they're not, if they're not uh, very fervently... Uh, talking to sinners, if they're not overwhelmingly uh, pushing them into the kingdom. No. You see, once you get into Jesus, you find out the first thing. The wall comes down, for therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We didn't do it. It wasn't our conquest. It wasn't our victory. It happened at Calvary. You see, when he said, it is finished, what was he talking about? He was talking about sin. He was talking about death. He was talking about Satan. And those are the three factors that consume us. Uh, Sin takes its toll on our existence. Uh, Death uh, fills us with a fear. The unknown, the insecure, uh, the running away from it, the hating it. uh, And then Satan, who just laughs it off uh, and lets us feel. And every now and then he takes us on a joyride. And every now and then he drops us like a hot potato. But thank God that from here on in, it's neither sin, nor it is Satan, nor is it anything else that will death. You're not afraid of death once you're in Jesus Christ. You're not out there looking for it. You're not out there welcoming it. You're simply not afraid. Why? 
because he doeth all things well. Folks, the, the essence of the eighth chapter is the essence of a God that's in control of our lives. The essence of this chapter is simply saying that when Jesus comes in, when Jesus comes in, we are no longer obligated to the flesh. But we live according to the Spirit. And you say, what is live according to the Spirit? For those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you haven't received the spirit of slavery leaving, leading you to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption of sons uh, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And what does that mean? The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are the sons of God. Not that we're going to be. We are. We are. So one of the ministry and the ministry, the most glorious ministry of the Spirit, is to set our hearts at peace. Sin is taken care of, it's forgiven. You say, well, Sister Amy, but don't we sin every day? I mean, don't, yeah, we do. We do. But the conquest even of that daily encounter with sin depends on how filled we are with the Spirit. In other words, God says, I will continuously fill you. Now, this is going to scare you, but don't let it scare you. The people in Israel went out to receive manna. And God told them to take whatever they needed for the day. Enough bread for the whole family. Enough bread for everyone. Enough bread for three full meals. Enough bread so no one went hungry. But there was one admonition. Don't take more than the daily doses. If you do, it'll rot. And if you eat it, you'll be poisoned. You start to think, one day at a time. AA is not mistaken. One day at a time. It's in the Bible. Manna, one day at a time. You know why we fall in sin, folks? You know why we trample over ourselves? You know why we trip and, and go down on our face? Because we don't take one day at a time. We want a week, we want a month, we want a year. We want to set tremendous goals, uh, and in the meantime, we're looking down the pike two or three or four or five years down the pike, and, and we've got it all set up. But guess what? Today is failing. Today is, is dragging. Today is finished. Well, we can't do that. Same thing with our spiritual lives. Many people say, I go, I go to church on Sundays and I get filled up. It's like a gasoline station. I put super octane in my tank. Uh, uh, they check out my chassis and they look well at uh, the oil change in my filter. And hey, I've got everything set. Whoa, we're off. Can you imagine if the gas company only got, gave permission for just one day at a time? I'll tell you one thing. Our cars would last a lot longer. We take so much better care of them. Are you hearing what I'm trying to say? God says, I can't go with you more than a day at a time. I can't. Forever. You'll be with me forever. But in our walk, one day, one day, one day, one day. The Spirit's indwelling day by day.
Folks, that's why you've got to pray every day. That's why you've got to commit yourself to God every day. As we go through these next six weeks talking about the Spirit, you'll find out that the Spirit is a person. You'll find out that the Spirit gets offended. You'll find out that the Spirit is very delicate. You'll find out that the Spirit has certain needs. You say, the Spirit of God has needs. Oh yeah, oh yeah. In order to indwell in us, first of all, you've got to invite Him in. Second of all, you've got to treat Him like an honored guest. You've got to recognize His presence in you. And if each day you recognize the Spirit of God in you, I got news for you. You won't offend. You're ready to shoot your mouth off. Wait a minute. The Spirit of God is in me. You say, well, sister, does it work that way? No, but you've got to make it work that way. You've got to confirm in your life the presence of the Holy Spirit. And whenever you see yourself going off at the deep end, take a picture immediately. Would this please God? Is this of the Spirit of God? And you say, well, my flesh is weak. But he's made us strong. And if you don't have the strength, it's just that you're not close enough to Jesus. Because he's not a liar. You're a liar, but he's not a liar. He says, I'll be with you and I'll give you your strength and I'll pick you up. And there's no such thing uh, as human needs. Don't ever, don't ever give that excuse to God. I think it makes him vomit. No such thing. How can you say you have a need when he is the total supplier? How can you say you have a need when the closets are filled to overflowing for you? How can you say, I didn't get this or I didn't get that when the Holy Spirit has laid it out all for you? There's a Christmas tree with packages by the million and they're all for you. Start opening them. Start drinking of His fountain. Start living in the Spirit of God. There's victory. There's victory. But it's up to you. Once again, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He won't force you. He will just enamor you. He will tenderly move about you. He will say, please let me in. Please let me in. I'll make you victorious.